Rock Creek Park in Washington, D.C. has all the usual city park things. Biking, golf, tennis courts. But if you wander just a little bit off the path, you'll find something unexpected. Something we can say for sure that no other city park has. Stones. Gigantic, gigantic stones. They are in 20-foot stacks piled up behind a maintenance shed. And some of the stones are simple sandstone. Some are marble. Some have ornate cornices and decorations. Some are just big, plain old slabs. And they look like the ancient ruins of some lost city, which in a way is kind of what they are. Because they aren't just any stones. They're pieces of the Capitol building. Yes, the United States Capitol building in Washington, D.C. I'm Dylan Thuris, and this is Atlas Obscura, a celebration of the world's strange, incredible, and wondrous places. Today, a trip deep into the woods to find out how pieces of one of the country's most famous buildings wound up here. That's after this. If you're looking for a place where the wide open skies and the towering mountains inspire you to find an untapped part of yourself, you might want to take a trip to Wyoming. It's a place where bold, curious spirits forge their own way on all types of adventures. There is no shortage of iconic, expansive landscapes out there. You can discover breathtaking hikes, stunning state parks, authentic Western culture, and other historic sites, along with the tales of famous outlaws like Butch Cassidy and pioneers like Buffalo Bill Cody. The truth lies west. Discover yours at TravelWyoming.com. Friday, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. What a wonderful day! This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. I stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters Friday. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. If you have ever done a home renovation, you know it can be a hell on earth. Your whole house is covered in dust. There is a constant loud banging sound in the background. And there are so many, many moments when you ask yourself, what have I done? And imagine, as often it feels like, that this renovation just never, ever ends. The Capitol came about in the 1790s, and it was never finished. It's been continually under construction, repair, and expansion for the last 200 years in an unbroken chain. This is Elliot Carter. He's lived in Washington, D.C. his whole life, and he does a lot of reporting on local D.C. history. Elliot actually stumbled across the Capitol stones by accident while walking in Rock Creek Park one day. It's how a lot of people find them. He says that by the 1940s, the Capitol building needed a serious upgrade. It wasn't wired for alternating current, which basically is what allows you to plug stuff into the wall. It wasn't fire safe. Plus, Congress was running out of space. It had grown a ton in the years since the Capitol was originally built, thanks to new states joining the Union. So 
it's the 1950s and all these problems are kind of coming to a bear. And there had uh, just at the time been appointed a new architect of the Capitol, uh, this gentleman, J. George Stewart. And it's a pretty obscure position, I'd say nationwide. But the thing to know is this is a um, this is like a baron on Capitol Hill. Meaning it's a pretty cushy and important job, even if most of us have never heard of it. It basically controls how we care for and develop the Capitol building and its surrounding complex, whether to expand it, to build more buildings. It shapes a fundamentally iconic part of D.C. So back in the 1950s, this guy, J. George Stewart, was appointed to the gig and was set to get going on the big Capitol renovation. But there was just one teensy tiny detail about Stewart that gave pause to some of his contemporaries. He was not an architect. Stewart grew up in Delaware and was born into a rich family. He became an engineer, and at one point, like many well-to-do, high-society people, he got involved in politics. He spent some years hanging around D.C., served a term in Congress, and eventually, according to Elliot, a friend appointed him the architect of the Capitol. Now, to be fair to Stewart, he wasn't an architect, but he was a civil engineer, which meant that he could calculate the load-bearing elements and knew a ton about materials. But style and quality? Not his area of expertise. So for a decade, in the 1950s, you know, one of the most influential people in Washington, D.C. affairs was this mother from Delaware who, like, knew nothing about Washington, D.C. or the people who lived here. Is incredible. The office of the architect capital today very much try to kind of pretend like he doesn't exist and write him out of history because it's this serious low point for their agency and for Congress, kind of like Watergate Nixon stuff. Our very own architectural Watergate. But according to Elliot, J. George Stewart was a pretty dramatic dude. Elliot describes him as Nixonian. He was super secretive. He never filed an annual report in the 20 years he held the job. He famously did business over the phone to avoid a paper trail. And there's really very little written about the guy in the public record. Elliot learned about him by combing through library and research center archives that used to be confidential. And to be honest, we weren't able to dig into these archives ourselves. So we're relying fairly heavily on what Elliot learned and told us. We also sent a note to the architect of the Capitol, but we never heard back. So this is the guy in charge of expanding one of the most famous buildings in America. And Stewart's big plan was to expand the east front of the building. That's the less famous side. Most of the pictures you see are the west front. Stewart wanted to expand the building by 30 feet. And in order to do that, they had to get rid of existing walls. Now, there have been a ton of renovations to the Capitol over the years, but most of them were adding something, a new wing or a terrace that they could sort of tack onto the existing architecture. Stewart's project? They would have to take away some of the iconic stones. And people were not into that idea. The American Institute of Architects opposed it. The public thought it was a terrible idea. And preservationists and some members of Congress had disapproved of Stewart and his work for years. So it starts off under this pall, you could say, of suspicion and kind of a reactive secrecy almost of, let's not draw attention to this. Absolutely no photographers on site. 
let's uh, keep our heads down, get this done as fast as possible, remove the scaffolding, and call it the day. They get to work. Forget everyone else. And they begin dismantling the East Wall to prepare for the expansion. And amid all of this, one question seemed to have slipped through the cracks. What do you do with the huge pile of leftover stones from the wall you just tore down? The problem is, you can't just drop 20-foot piles of stone in someone's backyard. The stones were cataloged in case one day they'd ever be reassembled, but no plans for that actually materialized. Instead, some of the stones were turned into paperweights and bookends that you can actually buy for between about 4 and 20 bucks at the Capitol shop. The Capitol Historical Society thought about selling them as cornerstones for people's personal houses. But all those tons of stone make for an awful lot of paperweights and cornerstones. Too much to even sell. So for a while, the stones were stored behind the Capitol power plant until they started getting in the way of people's everyday work. You don't really want to be tripping over a giant hunk of marble when you're trying to make sure the electrical grid is up and running. They physically occupy this niche in U.S. government where they're kind of stuck between these forces of, like, bureaucratic inertia on the one hand and kind of historical preservation. You know, they're these objects that um, everyone agrees we don't want these in our front yard. We can't get rid of them. What do we do with them? In the end... Workers just trucked the stones out to Rock Creek Park and quietly piled them behind a maintenance shed. And they've been there for decades. Stones that Abraham Lincoln once walked past, now sinking into the ground, collecting moss, ready to surprise and delight everyone who stumbles onto them. I've lived 10 minutes away from here for more than 20 years. Didn't Great little piece of history that's off the beaten path. I could have spent over an hour here getting the correct angles for photos. Great historical feel. Cool climbing on the stones. Bring bug spray. It feels like a very cool graveyard of the past. These are all real reviews, almost giddy with discovery. The thing is, the Capitol stones were never technically open. You had to walk past a do-not-enter sign to get a peek at them. But now they are officially closed. There's a fence around the path to get to them. There's a sternly worded notice. We sent an email to the National Park Service and Rock Creek Park staff asking about the current state of the stones and, and any future plans. But we never heard back. So in the end, the Capitol Stones, they're like your favorite T-shirt that you've grown out of, but you still feel really attached to. So you shove it in the back of your closet or underneath your bed, and you just hang on to it forever. Even though you kind of know deep down you'll never wear it again. Sometimes, even if you never pull that shirt out from underneath your bed and you never see it again, and even if you can't walk up to the Capitol Stones anymore, it's kind of nice knowing that they're still there. This episode was produced by Johanna Mayer. Our podcast is a co-production of Atlas Obscura and Witness Docs. The production team includes Doug Baldinger, Camille Stanley, Willis Ryder Arnold, Sarah Wyman, Manolo Morales, McKenna Smith, Gianna Palmer, Tracy Samuelson, John Delore, Peter Clowney. This episode was sound designed by Chris Naka and mixed by Luce Fleming. 
Our technical director is Casey Holford. If you want to learn more, be sure to visit atlasobscura.com. There is a link in the episode description. Our theme and end credit music is by Sam Tyndall. And I'm Dylan Thuris, wishing you all the wonder in the world. I will see you soon. Witness Docs from Stitcher. At Radiolab, we love nothing more than nerding out about science, neuroscience, chemistry. But, but we do also like to get into other kinds of stories. Stories about policing or politics, country music, hockey, sex of bugs. <laughs> Regardless of whether we're looking at science or not science, we bring a rigorous curiosity to get you the answers. And hopefully make you see the world anew. Radiolab, adventures on the edge of what we think we know. Wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Lale Arakoglu, host of Women Who Travel. Women Who Travel is a transported podcast for anyone curious about the world. We talk to adventurers and athletes. I've raced the God's Own Adventure Race, which is on the South Island and goes through the mountains down in the Southern Alps on New Zealand. That was eight days spent out in the wilderness. And chefs. Iranian food is home, it's family, it's love. And we share dispatches from our listeners. Ireland is full of these, I will call them ghosts of the past. From stampeding elephants to training sled dogs. We hear it all. The dogs will curl right up with you and it can be kind of cozy waiting things out. New episodes of Women Who Travel publish every Thursday. Join us wherever you listen. Listen.